Absolutely delightful to be with you this morning. I must say, with a lifetime of focus on teenagers, being youth pastor to Miss Sandra was one of the highlights of my wife and my life. Everything you love about her, we are responsible for that. <laughs> Anything you don't like about her, Dennis messed up. <laughs> I'm just teasing. We love them so much. Uh, you know, I, by the grace of God, get to speak every Sunday morning, and I never know what the situation is going to be. And I asked Dennis, so is this, uh, you know, coat and tie? And he said, oh, my goodness. He said, our pastor wears Hawaiian shirts, things like that. And I thought, okay, young, innovative church. Probably everybody on platform is going to be young. I'm going to fit in. So I go to the mall in Fort Worth to get me some skinny jeans. And I actually found some skinny jeans, went to the trying on room. Have you ever tried to pull skinny jeans over Depends? That is the hardest thing. <laughs> In fact, Dennis said, how long are you going to preach? And I said, Depends. He just didn't know what I meant. <laughs> so now you know there's going to be a formal cutoff. You people are sweet. This is a precious church. And, and I think, even though you know guest speaker, I think if I ask you to, 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 to do something, you know, to kind of be a part of a demonstration, I think if it made sense to you, y'all would all just stand up and, and do it. I'm guessing right now, if I said, everyone stand up, now I don't want you to actually do it, but I think if I said right now, everybody stand up and walk to the front, I think most of you would have a tendency to say, okay, let's see, let's see what this is about. So I want you just to use your imagination. Actually, it would get a little crowded down here. So use your imagination. What if I said, everybody walk to the front and choose a particular place to stand? And this was the plan. What if I said, let's have a group congregate about right here, and if you, if you stand in that group, you would be saying, I am on my way toward God. I am no atheist. I think somebody's got to be out there. I think that's interesting. So I got up this morning, got myself dressed, decided a church would be a good place to find answers. So I am here this morning saying, I'm on my way toward God. Okay, I'm guessing if we did have a group congregate, with that thought in mind, I bet about 10 or 15 of these people would come down and hug some necks saying, so glad you're here. You're exactly in the right place. Love your honesty. We would be thankful there are people here on their way toward God. But, but others of you might say, well, no, that's, that's not exactly where I would go. I, th I think I would be in this group right here. This group would be saying, there was a time in my life I was on my way toward God. Then somebody finally explained to me, not only know about God, you can actually know him, have a relationship with him through the death of his son, Jesus Christ on the cross, act of faith, received grace, became his child. So I'm not on my way toward God. I actually know him, but I'm standing here and not some other places because even though I know Jesus, the most important person in my world would be me. As I try to get through a normal day, really what's on my mind is me. 
my hardships, difficult things I've got to get through, different situations, my crazy kids, my bad health, you know, just all kinds of things. So really, the preoccupation of most of my day is with me. But you know what? Jesus is always there to help me out. I don't even know how these poor people get by. Oh my goodness, if you didn't have Jesus to turn to. So yes, I tell him all my troubles and tell him all the ways he can make me better. But really, the center of all of that is me. Now, I think the people that, that ought to be in this group, I'm not absolutely certain they would walk over here because the same people that ought to be in this group tend to be so humble, they don't want to put themselves forward. Maybe a friend would take them by the arm and say, you're going to stand right up. Regardless, this group would be saying, There was a day I was on my way toward God. Somebody explained I could know him through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. By an act of grace, he came into my heart. And I cannot take credit for one single thing that has happened in my Christian life. It is all the working hand of God. But somehow, I find myself on this Sunday morning saying, the central person in my life is Jesus. Just getting through the day, he is actually on my mind. Now, of course, I have the same difficulties as everybody else. Oh, my goodness, can I tell you some stories? So I'm going through all kinds of hard things, but you know, my preoccupation with all of those hard things is, I wonder how Jesus is going to draw more attention to himself through this difficulty I'm going through. Oh, I wonder how he is going to be more glorified by this challenge. And you know what? My family, it's the very same thing. I mean, when we're going through something hard, we are literally sitting on the couch and we're going, boy, this is tough. Now, what do you think Jesus is up to now? How do you think he is going to be glorified through our family while we move through this difficulty? So even with my family, the central person in my life is Jesus. Lost convert, and then to use Jesus's favorite term for these people, disciple. Lost, convert, disciple. Would you be interested in some good research? We all know there's plenty of goofy research, but would you like some dependable research? The dependable research says, if I spend 18 years growing up in a home and my mom and dad don't know Jesus, Now, they may be fine people, strong, work ethic, moral, might even watch Fox News. But if my mom and dad, but if my mom and dad don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, even though they might be fine, the research says, I will leave that home and will spend my entire adult life lost. Now, There are a few exceptions. You know about that. In fact, three or four of you this morning are those exceptions. You grew up in a home. Nobody knew Jesus. By a great miracle, you came to know him. Those people exist. There's just not very many of them. Basically, if mom and dad lived their entire lives lost, I grow up in that home, I, as one of the children, will spend my life lost. The good research says, if I spend 18 years growing up in a home, and mom and dad are disciples. That does not mean perfect. It just means generally mom and dad are living their lives 
where Jesus is kind of the central issue. He is a topic of conversation around the house. We as a family do make decisions consistently where his name and his glory is the criteria. If I'm watching that for 18 years, statistically speaking, I will spend my adult life as a disciple of Jesus. We know about spring break. Let me use that as an example. A student that just graduated high school out of this home and now is a freshman at college, approaching spring break might see a bulletin board that says, come with us, spring break. We're going to rebuild an orphanage in Haiti in five days. And that student looking at that bulletin board goes, I'm gonna go on that trip. That sounds about twice as much fun to me as being drunk on a beach for five days. In other words, that 19-year-old is already starting to think and act like a disciple of Jesus. There are some exceptions. There are kids that grow up in a home with disciple mom and dad who by an act of their will turn away from all of that, live like the devil. Those people do exist, but again, there's not very many of them. Lost parents have lost kids. Disciple parents have disciple kids. Convert parents have kids who live as if they were lost. Not talking about losing your salvation, I'm really talking about lifestyle. If I grow up and my mom and dad are converts. In other words, they're nice religious people, keep their nose clean, do the church thing. But we go down to the church house for 18 years and I see a religious profession. In other words, we know how to say all the right words. We hate bad people. We, we, we just kind of fit in with the religious community. If I watch that, but I can tell from noon Sunday through the rest of the week, that's not what's driving the family. What's making decisions in our home are scholarships, traveling teams, roses on the 50-yard line. There's a lot of other things that seem to be a big deal in my house other than the whole religious thing. The disconnect between that Sunday morning profession and what I see to be the real agenda of our home, the disconnect between those two things, it fries my wiring so much so that when I get off at the Big Bad University, I don't have enough faith to hold me. And literally, in two or three weeks, those students are already beginning to take on some of the lifestyle of the lost students. Now, obviously, I can't read anyone's mind this morning. But I, I do wonder if there might be one person out there who would say, uh, Mr. Ross, to use your perfectly ridiculous illustration, I would be standing in the middle and you're not gonna like this, but I'm okay with that. I am gonna be here at church on Sunday morning. I don't want anybody calling me an atheist. And by the way, it's a little easier to sell insurance if you go to somebody's church. So I'm gonna be here on Sunday morning. And I would be fine if my kids turned out just like me. I do want them to be religious. Again, I don't want anybody saying I raised an atheist, but I just don't want them to be a nut about it 
Okay, my friend, if someone's having that discussion with me, I want to say something to you clearly. This isn't going to turn out the way you think at all. When those kids get out from underneath your direct control, and they can pretty well do what they want to, there's not going to be enough faith from their upbringing to hold them close to Christ. And in weeks, they are going to be doing things that embarrass you to death. And later, later, after they drag your grandkids through about three messy divorces, you're going to say, this didn't turn out the way I was expecting at all. Now, this would be strange. I know this would be strange. But if Pastor Dennis had called me up and said, Pastor George, going to be on sabbatic. Actually, we've got a, a Sunday morning program pretty well planned. But for some reason, we just want you to come, walk on platform, and speak one sentence really clearly, and then go back to Fort Worth. If he had given me a strong enough rationale I would have driven over here to say one sentence, and this is what it would be. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. The future of your children hinges primarily on the spiritual condition of your heart. You know you're in an above-average church. Nobody here this morning would, would argue against that. Your programs, your leadership, way above average. And that does matter. It does count. And I'm going to come back to that later in the sermon. But mom and dad, hear me clearly. The fact that you're in a great church with great children's programs and great youth programs, that is not enough to determine the future adulthood of your children. That hinges mostly on the spiritual condition of your heart. In fact, this whole subject of the heart has been very interesting to me lately. You might think it's a waste of time, but I sat down and went from Genesis to Revelation, studying every single thing the Bible has to say about the heart. I would love to tell you, I would love to read to you every passage I found in the entire Bible on the heart, but if I did, the Methodists would beat us to the restaurant, and none of us want that, so I'm not going to give you all those passages. I'm not going to give you all of them, but I'll give you some of them. I'm not going to ask you to turn in your Bible because you can't turn fast enough. So this time, just listen and absorb the reading of Scripture. I'm just going to start and move through the Bible. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Take to heart all the words by which I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. Far from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Let the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produce good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produce evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Could it be any more clear? The central issue is, mom and dad, and even grandparent, the central issue is the spiritual condition of your heart. I have preached this sermon before, and it is interesting when senior adults, some we would call the anchor of the church, when senior adults come up and ask me after the service, Brother Richard, I've never heard anything exactly like this. I don't know that I've ever really asked myself, am I a convert or am I a disciple? I just wonder if some of you are kind of wondering the same thing. Since you can pretty well guess what the future of your children will be based on whether you're standing in one of these two places, it's kind of a big deal where you are standing. Okay, we have no meter, we have no gauge to detect your heart. All I can do is ask you some kind of external questions that might help you guess what's going on down in your heart. You know, I'm a guest today, I leave, you don't have to look at me anymore, so maybe it's, maybe it's helpful just to give the, the, the unusual speaker permission to really probe a little bit. So I'm gonna probe. When your phone, whatever wakes you up in the morning, goes off, what is your first thought? Is your first thought, where is that snooze? Or is your first thought, I want out of this bed, I want to go to my favorite chair because I desire to spend time with my king. What would be your first thought to begin the day? I'm not talking about saying a little grace prayer over your post-toasties, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I wanna get up, go to a special place and have a significant time of prayer before King Jesus. Would you say that is typical for you? In other words, not to salute some little church list, but because you want to, you get up because your heart desires to be before the king. Would that be true of you or not? When you do talk to Jesus, whenever that is, when you do talk with him, you, you know the answer to this question. When you do talk to Jesus, would you say the majority of your prayer time 
is telling him he is great and glorious, you know, worshiping him, telling him all the ways he's wonderful, would you say the majority of your prayer is glorifying him, or would you say the majority of your prayer, gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay, Jesus, let me tell you all the ways today's gonna be hard, and here's all the ways you need to show up and make everything better for me and mine. Majority of your prayer adoring him are the majority of your prayer saying, Jesus, here's all the things you can do to help me out. Which would it be? What about scripture? Some of you like to have paper and ink, that's wonderful. Many of you do something with your thumbs. It's all the word of God, doesn't matter. My question is this. Sunday noon on, rest of the week, does scripture seem important to you? Because of the person who wrote it, does scripture seem important to you such that you are pulled back into the pages of scripture on your own time during the week? Would that be true for you? Or would you truthfully say, my Bible is mostly a prop? You kind of have to carry something at church on Sunday morning to fit in, so I do have a Bible on Sunday, but boy, when that hits the nightstand, I'm not sure there's anything interesting enough about that, especially the author of that, to pull me back during the week, which would be true of you. What about your money? This is an innovative church. I assume there are online ways to give. Maybe you can set up auto automatic. That's wonderful. I believe in all of that. But whether you're writing a paper check on Sunday or occasionally sitting at a keyboard to make things happen, in either case, is that moment worshipful to you? Check your keyboard. At that moment, are you thinking kind of in your mind, Jesus, I love you so much. I adore you so much. It is a joy to lay this at your feet. Or is it drudgery? In other words, if you join the club, you've got to pay the dues. So here we go. I'll pay the dues. Is it drudgery or is it worship? That will tell you a lot about the condition of your heart. In fact, let me just kind of cut to the chase. You can summarize all these issues really with one basic question. This whole religious thing, the whole thing, church, Jesus, every, would you say this whole piece of your life that, it, that is this religious, would you say the point of all of that is you bringing glory to Jesus serving him, joining him, and bringing his kingdom on the earth, would you say the whole point of all of this is him, his glory, his kingdom, or would you say the whole point of this religious thing is me? I think if I go to church, things are gonna turn out better. My kids will look better. My wife will get over cancer in a week. Everything's gonna go better in my life if I just do the religious thing, keep my nose clean and hate bad people. The whole point of this is me. People, I am helping you figure out where of two places you are standing. And for all reasons and all times that matters for God's glory in your life, adult, 
But this morning, the point I'm trying to make is the issue isn't just you. It's that generation coming right behind you because I'm telling you right here tells the tale. For middle-aged adults, senior adults, there was just sort of a cultural motivation to be in church. We all just kind of did that because it was acceptable. But with that young generation coming behind, if their hearts are not alive for Christ, they'll have no interest in whatsoever an institutional church or being religious. So this morning we are talking about the future of your children and grandchildren. Say, Brother Richard, this is all a little bit harsh this morning. If you knew me, I'm not a harsh guy. I just have one time to stand before you and try to make this clear. Because I know 20 years from now, the two of you are going to sit on a couch bawling your eyes out because things haven't turned out like you thought they would unless the truth of God's word on all of this makes sense to you today. Three challenges and I'm done. Challenge number one is this. Restore your first love in Jesus. Restore your first love. I'm going to ask you a very personal question, but everybody in this room, nine-year-olds and 90-year-olds, everybody in this room can answer this question. Has there been a time in your life when you were closer to Jesus than you are this morning? Simple question. Has there been a time in your life that you were closer to Jesus than you are this morning? Maybe some of you would go all the way back to your college experience. I don't know. Maybe you were in some kind of college ministry or college group, and you would say, oh, my goodness, Tuesday nights, 10 o'clock p.m., man, we've got a guitar, we've got a Bible. Oh, man, we had some great times when I was a college student. What happened? Or maybe some of you would go all the way back to youth group. Maybe you would say, man, in those stinky old youth camps in that day, some preacher in a black suit. I, it didn't even matter really what he was saying. I'd be sitting in the back of that tabernacle and me and God were so close I could almost touch him. He was real to me then. What happened? Well, I guess the real issue this morning is not what happened. The real issue is, do you have a heart desire to restore that first love? I know all of you remember, in the book of Revelation, Jesus, the ultimate author, says to one of the churches, hey, you're doing a lot of great things. I just have one thing against you. You have lost your first love in me. I just wonder, is there an adult Christian this morning, or even a child or a teenager, who would say, I want to run back to that day when Jesus was so real to me, I want to restore that first love in him. Adult, parent, listen, that matters for you to fulfill your purpose on planet Earth. I'm just adding to that this morning to say as you run back to Jesus, you in that moment are changing the future, the probable future 
of the generations coming behind you. Challenge number one, restore your first love. Challenge number two, be transparent about that in front of your children. Be transparent about that in front of your children. I, I do think, I, not, maybe it's not probable, but I do think it is possible that you could fall back in love with Jesus. You could decide he is going to be the center of my life. He is going to be the criteria for the decisions I make. I, I guess you could, theoretically, fall back in love with Jesus, but be so quiet and private about it that your kids never know. Men, men, could I say just a word to you? Men, I think by temperament, I think by personality, I think we men folk are a little bit more reserved than the ladies. I don't think there's a thing on earth wrong with that. I think that's just how we're made. We're, we're a little bit more inside ourselves. The danger, though, is if we're too reserved, the kids don't have an opportunity to be influenced by what God is doing in our lives. Dad, I'm going to give you a prime example. I'm just going to give you an example. So you get up, probably while the house is still dark, you get up, you go to your favorite chair, and you are having some good Bible study, some good prayer, and you're just sitting there in the darkness, and you're reading the Bible, and you're going, Whoa, that's pretty good. Man, that's, whoa, I never saw that before. That is a good, oh, that's good. You know what I would do about that? Take your Bible to breakfast. You take your Bible to breakfast, and finally your sleepyhead high school daughter wakes up, and she walks in, and, and when she walks in, you go, hey, sweetie, come here, come here, come here. Lean over my shoulder. Hey, look at this, look at this. I was, I was having my Bible study. This is so good. I never saw this. Okay. I believe in small group Bible study with all of my heart. I have given my whole life to making it better. I believe completely in taking teenagers and children in small group Bible study. But I want to tell you what I think. I think that little scene with dad and his daughter is worth about 20 small group sessions. You know why? Because that's my daddy. The most important person in my life is reminding me, number one, he's up early talking to Jesus every morning, but he also just showed me that when he makes spiritual discoveries, it's a big honking deal in his life. I'm telling you, when that girl is 50 years old, the person that she is, the way she makes decisions, the way she runs her life will be shaped in part, maybe in large part, by moments just like that. Restore your first love in Jesus. Be transparent about it in front of your kids. And three, finally, partner with your church to rear kids that look like Jesus. I told you at the beginning of this message, you can't coast hoping a church is going to make up the difference. You can't do it. But once you decide Jesus is going to be the center of our home, he's going to be the center of conversation in our home, our kids are going to watch us consistently making decisions for his namesake. When that's in place, issue number two then quickly becomes, and we want to partner with our church to assist us in any way possible to see our kids grow up fully developed, fully in love with Christ. Part of that change will influence how you read the video screen. 
Somebody flashes up a slide and it says, oh, we're going to offer this or that for parents on leading at home. And in the past, but now because you've had a heart change, now you see that advertisement and you go, whoa, 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 I got to get that down. This shirt's going to do something that helps me parent even better. I'm, gonna, I'm all over that. I will be there. In other words, it changes how you read the announcements. The church says, oh, on this particular occasion, we're going to bring complete families together. F complete families are going to have these. And you go, okay, we were going to go see Aunt Susie that weekend. You know what? We are going to see Aunt Susie someday, but not that weekend because I'm all over anything this church wants to do to bring families together. Not only does it change how you see the announcements, it changes decisions you make at home that relate to the church. Dad, l let me talk to you again, Dad. What I'm about to say, the little speech I'm about to give, Dad, I am not claiming this would be easy. I'm a man, I understand, I've got a boy. But I, I, listen to this speech. Coach, I appreciate you more than you know. I know for a fact you've taken extra interest in my son. You've held him extra for practice. You've opened up some camp possibilities. Coach, I can tell you're working hard to open doors for my son. And sir, I appreciate it. And I know, I understand exactly what you're saying, that these days scouts are more likely to see a traveling team, a club team, than a school team. I understand that. And for you to open up the last spot for my son to be on that traveling team, sir, I appreciate that more than I can say. But you're telling me in this particular league, my son is going to miss most of the Sunday mornings for the next few weeks. Sir, not only am I trying to build a blue chipper, I'm trying to build a young man who will love God. If he misses that much church, I think that argues against my highest priority. Coach, in this particular instance, We've got to say no to the invitation and look for other ways that you can open doors for my son. Okay, I'm, I'm admitting that's not an easy speech to make. But you know what the payoff is? Thanksgiving, 20 years from now, and all your kids and grandkids are around the big table, and your son, adult son, turns to you and says, Dad, I know you had to make some decisions when I was growing up that were not the easiest thing. In fact, I probably gave you some lip on some of that. But Dad, you need to know you did it right. And the fact that me and my little toe-headed kids here are all faithful and active in church is directly related to those decisions you made when I was growing up. So... I only have one living child, and he's 20-something. Took a long time to get him here. He's sick right now, but that's not relevant. <clears throat> Before he got sick, college days, he was going back and forth overseas. And for some reason, his heart was for hard places. I'll have to be a little vague but he would go to places where there are people that actively want to kill Americans. He would sit up with young men of that faith half the night, drink coffee with them, take their copy of the Koran, show them Jesus right there 
in the pages of their book, Lead Them to Christ. But you can imagine an American, a Christian, talking like that creates a little bit of stress. So on his last trip especially, there was some stress. Made Luana and me nervous. If my son gets well, I have absolutely no doubt he's going to start going back to hard places. Perish the thought. But what if on the next trip, my son's body comes home in a box? Pastor Dennis or George says, you might remember uh, the professor that was here, mentioned his son, terrible, terrible situation overseas, and his life was lost. Service will be Fort Worth, Texas, such and such date. And for some crazy reason, you just say to yourself, I'm going to go to that funeral. I don't know why. I'm just going gonna, gonna, to, I got business in Fort Worth anyway. I'm just going to go do my business and go to that funeral. And so at the appointed day, you walk in the back door of Wedgwood Baptist Church, and you just sit in the back. You'll notice down here on the second row, I'm going to be uh, crying pretty loud, probably the one or two. We love our son more than we can put into words. He is an absolute joy. So if, he, if his body is going to not be on earth anymore, we're going to be pretty sad about that. But if you come out to the circular drive after the service, right before we get in the black car, and you say, Mr. Ross, I just have this thought. You know, you came over to our church, Plano. I don't know why. I just felt some sort of a connection with you. Uh, pastor mentioned your loss, and so I, here I am. I got to ask you a question. How do you really feel about your one and only living child now being dead? How do you feel about the fact that Christmas from now on, you'll hand your wife a present, she'll hand you one, you'll both go to bed, and that'll be the way it'll be the rest of your life? How do you feel about the fact that you will never have a grandchild in your lap? How do you feel about the fact that eventually nobody's going to come see you in hospice? I don't think any of us know ahead of time what we would say in a moment like that, but you know what I want to be able to say? It is well with my soul. Do you know why I want to be able to say it is well with my soul? Because Clayton Allen Ross is on planet Earth for the glory of God. That is what he is doing down here. And if the king should decree in this particular situation, I would be glorified by a young man being faithful in another country, dying as a martyr. If the king says that is the way I would receive glory, then how could dad say anything different from it is well with my soul. Now, here is the point. There is nothing special or unique about my son at all. Every child of this church is on earth for the kingdom and the glory of God. That's what they're doing down here. Mom and dad, listen to me. Trophies are wonderful. Scholarships are wonderful. Roses on the 50-yard line are wonderful. It's all good, and it all has a place. But you are primarily parenting so that your son or daughter will leave your home and live an adult life for the glory of God. Would you bow your heads? Just bow your heads. Musicians, come. You folk know there's a fork in the road right in front of you. You're smart people. You can detect that. 
you know exactly what the truth of this message is. So the fork in the road for you is, I keep right on doing the same thing. We will show up on Sunday. We will be mildly religious. But my kids are not going to hear much from me around the house related to my life in Christ, and they're not going to see me making decisions, even hard decisions, that keep our family focused on his glory. You can, you can take that fork. But I'm not sure anybody has ever this clearly explained to you what the result of that is going to be. The, the result of that is going to be young adults joining all the other young adults abandoning the church, living in a way that will break your heart. That's where that's headed. The other fork is, I am going to fall back in love with Jesus. I'm not going to fall in love with religion. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus like I used to be. I'm going to begin to live my day down at the office, down at the shop, in the school classroom. I'm going to start living my adult life for the glory of Jesus. I'm going to talk about him in our house. I'm going to make decisions for him and in him knowing that the probable result of all of that is going to be a 27-year-old son or daughter, head over heels in love with Jesus, parenting my grandkids in an absolutely beautiful way, connected to a church, and then I will say, my life doesn't get better than this. It's a fork in the road. You know when you walk out the door, your mind will go back to other things. So this is a moment of decision. And I'm just asking you right now, I'm going to be quiet. I'm just asking you to prayerfully consider which fork am I going to take? Am I going to go back to same old, same old? Or am I going to fall in love with Christ, speak of him, think of him, make decisions based on his priorities? Number one, to fulfill my destiny on earth, but number two, see a generation who will walk with him. Would you just pray that through right now? Holy Spirit of the living God, I am praying in your name and by your power that single parents would just know that Jesus is sitting beside them, parenting with them. I'm praying that married people, even sitting close with each other this morning, would have the same mind. We are going back to that first love we had with Jesus. He's going to be the agenda of our home. He's going to be the criteria when we make decisions about schedules and everything else. He's going to be the topic of van rides to soccer practice. And our kids will leave our home never with a question. Was my mom and dad religious or were they Jesus people? Holy Spirit of God, I am praying 
that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, there would be a difference in lives and homes because of decisions your people are making at this very moment. Father, I'm praying a special prayer of blessing for those that are feeling pain, probably saying, I wish I had heard a message like this 20 years ago. Lord Jesus, I declare that grace abounds. The past is not what is important. It is from this day forward that matters. We truly believe grace covers the past, and we that are even parenting adult children today declare to you that if our hearts run back to you and that if you just saturate our lives again as you did before, even adult children can be turned back to you in a brand new and fresh way. We pray for that. We pray for the cleansing and the freeing spirit that only grace can bring. Lord Jesus, you be glorified in all that is going to come out of this service this morning. We pray in your name. Amen and amen.